I'd like to invite you along the Camino with me. I'm Holly Brock, and welcome to the playful ponderings of my particular pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago. String of lights. I absolutely love this imagery. If I close my eyes, I really do see it like this. I know that the church is not perfect, but it holds an important space, like a string of lights. And one more thing, if the nun who got the giggles hears this story, please be assured it was a huge gift. And now the story, String of Lights. Close your eyes. Picture a string of lights strung across northern Spain. That would be breathtakingly beautiful. I began to see the churches along the Camino de Santiago like that, like a string of lights, lighting the way as we walk to wherever we will meet God. If you have the eyes to see it, walk with me following this string of lights from the Pyrenees to the far west coast. First, the Church of Our Lady in St. Jean Pidiaport, where I fell asleep during a requiem and began my pilgrimage the following day. A few days later, I attend the Pilgrim's Mass in Pamplona at the Church of St. Simon. As this was my first Pilgrim's Mass, I didn't really know what to expect. I speak only the most basic phrases in Spanish, so the actual service was me just sitting politely, trusting that nothing is lost in God's translation of things. After, though, a younger English-speaking priest invited pilgrims upstairs into the choir loft. It was a time set aside for pilgrims to process why we had chosen to walk this route. I sat with people from all over the world, brought together with a draw to pilgrimage, we enjoyed a rare and sweet camaraderie as our differences were overshadowed by this common thread. The takeaway from this time for me was the unexpected teaching that the priest offered us. I recalled meeting with a few people from my ho hometown who had walked the C Camino de Santiago. One friend spoke about the suffering she would experience on the way by means of physical exertion and minimalistic living. She said for her, this experience of suffering had been a primary motivation. I wondered if the suffering produced by a pilgrimage was a primary reason that the Catholic Church required it at some points in history. Perhaps that by walking, one was being penitent, proving remorse by means of the suffering. I had heard of a certain church about halfway to Santiago de Compostela, where there is a door of forgiveness it was said that if you could at least make it there and touch that door, your sins would be forgiven. Having this sense of things, I fully expected the priest here to emphasize suffering as the primary goal of our pilgrimages. But at this pilgrim's mass, nearing the beginning of the French way, what was the heart of his message? Freedom. Not that we must walk and endure this suffering so that we can be forgiven, but that we have been forgiven and now can walk in that freedom. I marvel at what a difference this can make on the actual experience of suffering, 
I experience as I walk the Camino. If I suffer as a way to freedom, as a way to freedom, that is heavy. But suffering as incidental as I walk in freedom, that feels light as a feather. Okay, not exactly, but you know what I mean. Ah, now the walk along the Alternativo route to the Santa Maria, the silent church of the Templars nearing Puente La Rina. A thousand years ago, this fervent group of men dedicated their lives to protecting pilgrims along the Camino. As I walked, I pondered what it must have felt like to be a pilgrim along this route a millennium ago. My experience so far, even in long stretches where I was alone and in remote areas, was very tame. But a thousand years ago, certainly the way was less tame as the whole world was wilder then. I tried to imagine the same exact walk without our modern safety nets where pilgrims had no way of communicating, no regularly occurring albergues, no motorized vehicles for rescue, fewer pilgrims along the way. If you got caught in the elements or assaulted by bandits, you were at their mercy. These Knights of Templar, returning from the Crusades, now turned this religious fervor still burning in their veins toward protecting pilgrims along this route. I stepped through a small door in one of the eight sides of this church, out of the bright sun and into the still, cool, quiet inside, and felt transported back in time. I tried to imagine these armored, intense men doing the same so many years ago. It's a profound commitment to be willing to give your life for another. On a stand by the door, there is a little book with a sign saying, share your pilgrim prayer. In light of this particular history here, what could I possibly write? What could possibly communicate the gravity of experience that this church stood in memory of? So I wrote the only prayer that could even point to the very serious prayer in my soul. May your kingdom continue to come and may my steps walk me deeper into it. And I sign my name. On to Viana, where I can still picture that wall holding its long vigil, connecting the cathedral and the town square. In Navarrete, I am blinded by gold as I walk toward the altar in the Church of the Assumption. I am blinded, and then I am touched by the amount of gold used in this place that honors Mary, Jesus's mother. I am encouraged as a woman and as a mother by the show of honor. The assumption refers to the belief that when Mary died, Jesus brought her up, body and soul, into heaven to be with him. I don't know about you, but I need to hear more about Mary and the unique and powerful role she has and is filling. She is, after all, the mother of the Son of God. In a very remote section between Belorado and Burgos, pilgrims discover a tiny town with a population of 20. This town was strategically established to support pilgrims along this sparsely inhabited section of the Camino. And here's the chapel of St. Juan, where Mother Mary is honored in a very special way. The chapel is constructed in such a way that at both the spring and autumn equinoxes, The sun rays in the evening shine directly on the statue of her. Astounding. The cathedral at Burgos will take your breath away by its sheer size, architectural prowess, and history. But a tiny 
Chapel west of Burgos will have the same effect by its modest sincerity and hospitality. The Burgos Cathedral reminds us of God's omnipotence, his unlimited power. This humble chapel with stone walls and a wooden ceiling reminds us of God's omnipresence, his presence everywhere. After taking a silent moment for prayer, I approached the two nuns in the back of the church. A precious, tiny nun stands with a big smile. Her voice speaks the pilgrim's blessing in Spanish. Her eyes speak the blessing without needing words. Her gnarled hands place a little necklace of Mother Mary around my sweaty neck. It gives me the idea of how wonderful it would be if we offered to do this for each other more going about our days with blessings on the tips of our tongues, ready to speak often and genuinely to those we come in contact with. In Carrion de las Condes, the nun in the middle got the giggles. There were three nuns in the front row, plus one who was playing the piano, but it was the one in the middle that got the giggles. They were the kind of giggles that come in waves. Her shoulders would relax after one wave, grow still with a deep breath, but before you knew it, the bright energy would gather up in her again, and she was simply unable to hold the wave back. The nuns on either side of her responded differently. The sister on the left remained immune, standing even straighter and more still each time a wave would crash over her sister. But the nun on the right was helpless against the contagious nature of it, and soon these two were actually setting each other off. One would settle down, but soon be reactivated, feeling her sister burst again. Traditionally, Mass has a serious, if not even somber tone. It is a serious thing that Jesus came to die and offer his body and blood for us. But it is worth asking, now that Jesus' sacrifice is said and done, would he be somber in our midst? Somehow wouldn't the seriousness of what Jesus has done actually have the direct byproduct of overflowing joy? That's what I was thinking, but to be fair, I don't really know what the nun was thinking when she started giggling, but it did make me smile. Jesus already took the bitter cup, and since he was willing to take it for us, now when he offers us the cup of his blood, it tastes like rich wine indeed. Jesus was the one who took the bitter cup. We received the yummy one of joy and thanksgiving. If we are somber when we remember the blessed process Jesus entered into, may it be a reverent pause in a sea of great gratitude and worship. Maybe that's why the nun got the giggles. Maybe her joy was not containable. They continued to sing, or tried to, for the Lord. Somehow I can't help but feel like this was true worship, just of a different kind. Lord, let me catch this delicious condition of overflowing joy when I'm in your house, partaking of your body and blood. In Robinal del Camino, there is a historic Benedictine church. This beautiful evening, I stepped through the doors into the dimness inside. It was deceptively quiet as it was full of people. There were some people in plain clothes sitting with the priest in the front of the church. We began, and soon it became apparent that those in the front were pilgrims from other countries that had volunteered to read from the Holy Scripture. 
It reminds me of the mockingbirds that live and sing in our yard. I imagine they are heralds singing out the message, God loves you in many different bird languages so that all can hear. And although God loses nothing in translation and knows every language, he also knows that there's something magical when we hear his word spoken in many different languages, but sweetest of all in our own. The priest said that our pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago is like a search for Jesus. I agree. It's like a 500-mile treasure hunt. And I must confess, although I believe that when I am in sin, when I've been missing the mark that Jesus invites me into, all that is required is to repent, to sincerely turn away from that sin and toward Jesus, and he will forgive me. Even though I fully believe that, in full disclosure, when I did actually get to Villa Franca and that door of forgiveness where pilgrims know their sins will be forgiven, your darn toot and I touched it. I leaned on it with my whole body and counted a slow Mississippi 10. Thank you, Jesus. Now through the mists, atop Osabrario, where I had hoped to find my sword, but instead could not take my eyes off of the dust on Jesus's head. And in the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela, sharing the incense and the chaos with so many brothers and sisters. Finally, on the far west coast of Spain, the stone church that sits on the rocky peninsula of Muxia, a place that was sacred even before that building was built. As I walk, I begin to see how these churches are like a string of lights stretching across Spain. They come in all shapes and sizes, many incredibly ornate, some exquisitely simple, some are quite old, and some a bit younger. I try to picture the hands of those that placed this rock in this one, planed the wood for this bench, painted this image of St. James or Mother Mary or of Jesus himself. And I am reminded that for all of the significance of these church buildings, they are not the church that Jesus referred to. Church buildings are built by people, but the real church is made up of people, the true followers of Jesus. Now picture all of those lights all along the Camino, all of those lights all over the world, the light of the world indeed. Indeed. 